Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, good day. I hope this podcast finds you in good health. I'd like to start off with a little bit of housekeeping slash a disclaimer. You know, it's not my intention every single topic I cover to do a part one, part two. But as of late, I've been finding myself covering more and more topics that require a part one and part two. Now, I'm not sure if this is going to be a part one, part two topic, but it's kind of a bigger topic. And it's definitely a more relevant topic. At least the terminology is relevant and very specific to our current day and age, and that topic is deconstructing Christianity. And so as I started researching and listening to other talks and YouTube videos and other podcasts and turned to studies and considered culture, I realized that this is kind of two separate discussions because on one camp, there are those that deconstruct church and still remain within the bounds of Christianity being that they still believe that Jesus uh, died on the cross for sins, rose again from the third day, and that believing on him uh, equals a relationship with him and thus equals salvation, being with him forever in heaven. And then there's another camp of people who deconstruct Christianity as a whole and walk away from the faith or walk to a new faith, redefine faith in some sort of way. And so we might need to have two separate discussions on this topic. I'd like to start by talking about those that deconstruct Christianity, deconstruct their faith, and never reconstruct it. And so we got to define what we're talking about here. It's, like I said, a newer term. It's very 2021, as it were. It's more of a phenomenon that can be observed in the millennial and Gen Z generations uh, than it could in other generations, though I, I don't think it's a new line of thought. And as I've done research and considered what would the Bible say about something, I actually really think that this deconstruction of faith is a thought that goes all the way back to the New Testament. It, I mean, honestly, it goes all the way back to the law of Moses. It goes all the way back to the writing of the scriptures. Because we see similar trends that happen throughout history. And so, in one way, this deconstructing Christianity and deconstructing church is a very new concept. And it especially has never been given this term or or this name before in history. But on another hand, deconstructing Christianity and deconstructing church has really happened as long as there's been a Christianity, as long as there's been a church, as long as there's even been Judaism. Judaism was deconstructed at various times in the Old Testament. I truly believe that. And I think we see that as evidence that as culture shifted in the Old Testament, Judaism shifted among the populace with the culture. And granted, that's not exactly the same thing we're dealing with today, but it's on a similar kind of train of thought. And there's good parts and bad parts in that. We know from biblical history that during the captivity of Israel in Babylon, some of the scribes, some of the teachers of the law, went back and added phrases to the law. They added phrases to the Torah. They added phrases to the book of Joshua that helped the Israelites relate to the law in captivity. They didn't take away anything from the law or add anything to it. Rather, they deconstructed it a little bit, and they 
reconstructed or maybe even restored the law that at that point was several hundred years old into a way that was more palatable for the culture. And then there's a flip side of deconstruction where some Israelites deconstructed the law and reconstructed something new in its place where they said worshiping God in the temple was good, but so was having sex with temple prostitutes in the temples of Ashtoreth or sacrificing children to Baal. And we know that that happened from the Old Testament prophets calling them out and pronouncing the judgment of the captivity that would come upon Israel. And you fast forward into the New Testament and we have deconstruction of the law going on, right? Where Paul is dissecting the law, breaking down the traditions of Judaism to show how Jesus fulfilled that. And then at the very same time, you have a deconstructing going on where Gnostics would add to that law or to Christ fulfilling that law. And perhaps they would add works or they would add other practices or other standards or ceremonies and most often pervert it. You have 500 years ago, Martin Luther dissecting the Latin text of the scriptures and then deconstructing with some theses that he nailed on a church door in Wittenberg, Germany. He deconstructed the church of that day. And he said, no, 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 to the church, the Bible should be translated into German, because he was in Germany, right? So that the common people can read the scriptures, because as I pull this stuff apart and dissect it and figure out what truth is, I realize that the scripture is for everyone. And you have crusaders dissecting and deconstructing the faith. And out of that, they believe that they should conquer the world in the name of the church and of glory and of country. And what do they do? They kill innocent people, they rape, they pillage, and they've deconstructed Christianity and have constructed in its place a perversion of Christianity that may have felt right at the time, but history looks back on and records it as disgusting, despicable, and far, far from the person of Christ that Christianity is to represent. And I think we're seeing a pattern here that when you deconstruct something, something else must be constructed in its place. And generally, that's, that's been my observation as I've watched testimonies from people who have deconstructed Christianity and left the faith, moved on to something else. Something else takes its place. I watched about four hours of a couple rather famous YouTubers that I won't name talk about how they deconstructed their faith. And at one point they were preaching sermons in their local church and they were so involved in their college group and they wrote songs for uh, Christian children to sing on Sunday mornings. And they talked about how their faith was very, very real at that time and how naysayers, uh, once they deconstructed and left their faith and identified as either agnostics or atheists, they talked about how naysayers would say, well, they must have, must have never had faith at all. And they pleaded to the listeners saying, no, 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 you don't understand. We were extremely passionate. We felt the presence of God. We felt all the right things to have faith. And I truly believe them that they felt all the right things to have faith and that their faith felt as genuine as it could be at that time. But one thing I noticed is that they left that faith and constructed another faith. And I don't quite know what it is, and I don't want to judge their heart and say what it is. From outward appearance, I would say it appears to be kind of a faith in, in humanity, a, a politically uh, driven humanitarian and very biased 
kind of faith in the goodness of humanity, the common grace that humanity has been given. But nevertheless, I, the point remains, I haven't seen an example of someone who deconstructed their faith and then put nothing in its place. Something is always going to take its place that you construct. There's a worldview that's going to construct in its place. And then on the opposite side of things, I found a testimony of a former worship leader who deconstructed her faith. And it was more of a dissecting of it. It wasn't a total abandonment to go reconstruct a different worldview, but it was a dissecting of it to say, I don't know that I actually believe this thing is true anymore, so I'm going to dig in. And she dug hard into apologetics and found that her reconstructed faith was a more true faith, was a more biblically based and biblically lined up with version of faith. And, you know, to some degree, I think we all should deconstruct our faith or at least dissect it. Because what's the opposite of that, right? If, if we're dissecting and deconstructing, it means we're doubting and we're acting on those doubts. And <laughs> if you've listened to this show for any amount of time, you know I'm a big fan of doubting and acting on those doubts, doing something about those doubts, reading more. And as much as I prepared for this episode by watching videos, it felt kind of weird because I wasn't as into my philosophy and psychology and apologetics and all my different books that I usually get into when I tackle a subject. When I was recording the episodes on Heaven and Hell, I had a, I had a pretty sizable stack of books that I was kind of going through and looking through excerpts of uh, on my desk here and, and doing research for this one since the deconstructing of Christianity is such a newer term. It was mostly on videos and uh, podcasts and things like that, which is fine, and there's information to be learned there. But Nevertheless, my point is the value of reading a book is still much, much, much higher than the value of listening to a podcast. I would much rather have you go read something that tackles a question you're having than listen to me talk about it for 20 minutes on a podcast. The problem is, though, is that we're in a place in culture in the evangelical church where the form of ministry and the form of God moving and God speaking is often confined to what some churches even call their worship experience, right? It's not just a Sunday morning church service or, or a teaching, but it's rather a worship experience. And they give you a you know, worship folder with all the other worship experiences going on that week. And I think the main problem with it there is that it puts a lot of emphasis on the emotional and moral aspects of faith. And don't get me wrong, there are emotional and moral aspects of faith. Faith is not meant to be just entirely a logical, reasonable worldview. It, it must have an emotional aspect that complements the logical aspect of it. But it was interesting. I found a, a study done in Science Daily. It's on their website uh, just two years ago, 2019, before the pandemic. And they were studying the psychology and the psychological um, adjustment and social competence of children who were raised in the church versus children who were not raised in the church. And what they found was children raised in the church often had uh, the better social skills than those that weren't raised in the church. They had a higher moral compass than those that weren't raised in the church. Uh, they were, you know, obviously more well-behaved if they had a higher moral compass. But what was interesting and I'm going to read here from this article, 
is they said religion emphasizes moral codes designed to instill values such as self-control and social competence. Religious groups' prioritization of these soft skills may come at the expense of academic performance, which is generally diminished for youngsters raised in religious homes when compared with their non-religious peers. And so what they were finding is that those children that weren't raised in the church uh, actually had higher performance uh, in reading and in especially in math and science. And so along with this cultural shift of deconstructing Christianity, we also need to acknowledge that there's been a cultural shift over the last hundred years where Christians in academia now are not the top of academia. And this is something I noticed when I used to serve in the youth group at, at our church that we, we attend uh, before I was a pastor on staff there, is I noticed serving in the high school group that less kids in the high school group than I remembered you know, being friends with in high school uh, wanted to go to college after they graduated high school. Uh, there was a, a large majority of them that wanted to work at a church or be a pastor or serve in a church. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but there's a trend that we're seeing that 100 years ago was not true because 100 years ago, right, or even longer than that, Christians led the way in education. Christians led the way. Most of the colleges we have were established by Christians, by churches. Most of them started off as Bible colleges, even all the way back to the law of Moses. Moses was very countercultural and uh, contradictory to the day when he wrote, and after God instructed him, that the, the men of Israel should teach women how to read, should teach their children how to read. That was, that was not done anywhere culturally in the middle to late Bronze Age, uh, which is when Moses instructed them to do that. And, and we see that in the Bible. We see it in Paul the Apostle when he's going around and preaching, when he's uh, giving lectures in the Areopagus and he's quoting philosophers, right? That Paul had a, a very, very high value of knowledge, that the churches, the early churches were founded by an intellectual, by someone who valued education. And this kind of leads me to something else I've noticed too, is that most often those that deconstruct Christianity were those that had their Christianity constructed for them in a youth group, or only by their parents. And I think that that's very dangerous. And if you, as a listener, find yourself in that category as someone that was raised in the church and went to youth group every single week, and at one point found yourself looking up to celebrity pastors, which is also another weird norm phenomenon that we have right now, is that we have celebrity pastors and they're all stupid. They're all so, so stupid. Okay, give or take a few of them. But they are. They get up on a stage. They scream at you for 40 minutes. They misquote scripture. And even when they do quote scripture or say that their service is about it, they don't actually dissect that scripture. They don't actually tell you what it means. They give you their philosophy, which I think I've referenced before on the show, but it's worth referencing again that there is a, uh, a book that was written um, probably a dozen or so years ago, and forgive me for not having the source right in front of me. It's just laziness on my part. But the, the book is called The Sociology of Philosophy. And in the book, it talks about how philosophies gradually grow and influence cultures. But it also talks about the levels of philosophy and that there are four of them. The first and the strongest level is the philosophy from the philosopher's mouth, right? So if I were to start quoting to you Nietzsche, or Camus, or Aristotle, or Augustine, 
or Jesus, uh, who is a philosophical figure in history, I would be giving you the strongest philosophy possible. And if I started explaining what they meant from a logical, deductive reasoning point of view, I would still be within that realm of giving you the strongest philosophy I can give you. The next uh, level is the philosophy from science or logic. And this is the philosophy that is derived out of uh, observational hypothesis, observational recording, testing. This is where reductionist philosophy resides and finds its strength in and basically is defined by the natural world is a certain way, therefore we operate a certain way, therefore we think a certain way. The third level of philosophy is philosophy derived from art. Or, or in other words, when an artist creates something, an artist is trying to also communicate something in that creation. And it's very obvious when you look at movies and music that there is a message there, right? This is true of paintings. This is true of sculptures as well, that there's a philosophy that art communicates. And then the fourth or the lowest level, the level of philosophy that can be trumped by any of the other three, presents the weakest argument is philosophy of opinion. And that's because everyone's an expert in their own opinion. And the unfortunate and sad truth is that most of these celebrity pastors just get up on a stage for 40, 45 minutes and just give you their opinion. And they yell it and they scream it and they make it rhyme most of the time. And you leave feeling emotionally charged or motivated or you leave feeling like God loves you or you feel like you've had a transformative experience. And I don't discredit that feeling. I, I really believe that when you leave or when you listen to a hypey, jumpy, prosperity gospel and skinny jeans teacher from Montana or Seattle or Hillsong, because let's be real, anything with Hillsong's name on it is probably prosperity, hypey, not solid Christian teaching. But the emotions are very real, but the emotions can't sustain without a healthy balance of logic, reason, and dissecting of truth. And so perhaps it's time we deconstruct some of that. Perhaps it's time that we, Christians, and I'm going to include you in this we category if you were raised in the church and you've left the church and you know now are identifying as atheist or agnostic or some other faith, or you're considering leaving the church. It's time that we apply ourselves academically. It's time that we not only doubt, but doubt and do something with it and not just say, I disagree with the church politically, therefore I don't ever want anything to do with this anymore. But we ask ourselves, what is the truth? And then whatever we find, we must submit ourselves to. Because here's the thing too, if you construct a Christianity that you completely agree with, you haven't constructed true Christianity, you've constructed an appliance. And Christianity is nothing more to you than the toaster in your kitchen. It's something you can turn on and off, something you can say, oh yeah, Christianity, I have that. You want some toast? That's not Christianity. It's akin to Gnosticism. I, I would even go so far as to say, if you find something other than Christianity to be true by your logical conclusion, whatever you find to be true, you should not agree with completely. I don't agree with things that I think are true. It doesn't make them any less true. Truth is true whether we deconstruct it or not. Truth is true whether we construct a lie that sounds like it or not. Truth is true whether we prove it or not. But we have the ability to try. We have the ability to reason, to use logic, to read, to research. And so perhaps deconstruction is too aggressive of a term. Honestly, I kind of think it is. As I was watching these videos 
as I was uh, looking into these testimonies and considering these things, I just thought, man, deconstruction sounds so final. It sounds like something's being torn down and is never going to be that thing again. Maybe dissecting is a better word to use. Are you going to agree with every Christian you run into? Absolutely not. I personally have friends that have deconstructed their faith, and I see the things they post and hear the things they talk about, and I don't agree with it. And the other thing is, too, if you know someone who is deconstructing their faith or has deconstructed their faith, you don't have to feel bad about believing things that they no longer believe. You don't have to feel bad about believing things that they think are now so old-fashioned or so bigoted. To use a current example, if you know someone that's deconstructed their faith and they believe that you should call someone whatever pronouns they want to be called and that that's how you love them as a Christian and you don't believe that, you don't have to feel bad about it. The Bible doesn't answer the pronoun debate and it doesn't have to. The main point of the Bible is to present a Christ who came to this earth, died on the cross, and rose again. And if he rose again, he's worth trusting in and giving your life to. And if he didn't rise again, then let's deconstruct it all and build something entirely new and entirely different. And that really must be the hinge of where Christianity either gets reconstructed or dissected and restored or gets deconstructed and abolished. It has to come back to the resurrection because that's what Christianity hinges on. Did Jesus rise from the grave? If he did and you still doubt and you want to deconstruct and you want to dissect and you really want to know what truth is and you really want answers to some of the hard stuff, then do it. Don't throw away your Christianity because if Jesus rose, then it's all very, very, very important. And if you can logically come to the conclusion after doing research and looking into things and reading books, if you can logically come to the conclusion that Jesus did not rise from the grave, then you have my full permission to deconstruct Christianity and reconstruct whatever the heck else you want to put in its place. I don't think you'll come to that conclusion if you're intellectually and academically honest with yourself, but that's for you to decide, not me. Anyway, it looks like we're just about out of time. So as always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show.